Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I wonder if you ever heard about the African chief who was becoming very concerned about the men of his village. So he called a a community meeting of all the men in his village. It was a, a little bit with fear and hesitation after he called the village men together that he said to them, I'm afraid there are no longer any real men in our village. He had the impression that the men were being ruled too much by their wives. So to find out if this was true, he asked all the men who felt that their wives bossed them around to leave the hut through the door on the right. He said those who felt that they were in charge at home and were were the man of their family, they should leave through the door on the left. Well, lo and behold, all of the chief's men left through the door on the right, except for one who stood alone. He finally left through the door on the left, so the chief called the men all back together again and gave, them a, gave a big speech of praise to this lone wolf, the only man of the village. He said, the chief said, at least we have one real man in our village. And he said to the guy, could you please share with us your secret? So the man stood and was a little bit sheepish, sheepish, but at last he muttered, Chief, when I left home this morning, my wife said to me, Husband, never follow crowd. (laughs) I thought it was pretty funny. We have a message today for the men of Fellowship Bible Church. We're not going to ask you to walk out one door or the other. And in fact, um, I want you to know that I am uh, very much challenging myself from God's Word as well. Some of the message springs from what I'm trying to learn after 34, almost 34 years of marriage, of having two children, now grandkids, Just trying to be the man God wants me to be. I want to tell you that I love the men of Fellowship Bible Church. Hasn't God brought together a great group of men? There's no perfect men. There are some men here who are fantastic dads and granddads. There are men here with skill and capability. I love the men of Fellowship Bible Church. All all of you, and I love what God is doing among us. I want you to know I am not here today to beat you down. I am here today to encourage you. I want you to hear the Word of God today, and that's exactly what we're going to do, because you know uh, that God designed uh, the family, and in the family, He designed there to be a father, a dad, a husband, and a wife, a man, a woman, and then if God would give his pleasure on that family, children. And that's God's design. And in God's design, he has asked men to do very specific things in the home. And in fact, I want you to know that when God designed the family, he knew exactly what he was doing. That's the understatement of the morning. But when God designed the family, he knew exactly what he was doing. The family, as God designed it, simply cannot be improved. Do you know that? One man, one woman, married in a covenantal marriage vow, having children in a home is God's design. But we know that we live in a world that is pressing in on us. 
And the world is trying to change God's model. We also know that as a result of living in the world, that sin is having an impact on our homes. And one of the problems that we have in our culture is that men are being told that the God-given role they have of leadership in their homes is something that is a negative thing, not a positive thing. And so we actually have the re-engineering of the family structure going on. We have people who have spent many years in education, because it takes a long time to get to that point where you don't know that much. Um, and, and they say that the family can be improved, for example, with two mothers and no father, or two fathers and no mother, or any number of kinds of social restructuring and re-engineering is going on in our culture. It's having an impact on the church. We know that masculinity has been under attack. And we know that, that um, in, there has been in many ways a feminization of men in our culture. There has been a blurring of distinct roles between men and women. And somehow it's become even the case where masculinity at times is seen as a negative thing. As a result, men don't always know how to act. They don't know what to do. They don't know who they're supposed to be. And as a result, when a man is insecure, and and you men know this, don't you? When you don't know what to do, you back off. You either get angry or you back off. And so there's a, a passivity that has set in often. Uh, It's an indecisive passivity. What do I do? How do I lead? What should I do? So today I want to encourage the men of Fellowship Bible Church. We've invited all the women and the families and the wives to sit in and listen. And I trust it will be beneficial to you as well. But men know that I'm speaking to myself today. I continually need the same encouragement. And let me remind you, as I've said at the beginning of this family, Christian home and family series that we're into, this is not new material. There's no new material that you're missing. This is a reminder of what God has designed, what God has given, and God absolutely knew what he was doing. And, you know, uh, though passivity is a problem, it is true that God has placed a lot of responsibility on men. God has placed a huge responsibility on men. It's not easy to be a godly, Christ-centered, wife-loving, children-teaching Husband, father, man, you have a lot on you. I want to encourage you today. And what I want us to do is I just want to remind ourselves of what God has called men to be as fathers and husbands in the Christian home. And what I've done is I've selected six defining mandates from God's word. These are, these are straight from God's word. It's a list of six things that God says, this is what you need to be. I find that helpful. I find it helpful that I don't need to make up what I'm supposed to be. That I can look into God's word and there's his teaching, his instruction. This is what you need to be. And that God doesn't ask us to do something that we're not able to do. I find that a comforting thought. God never asks us as men to do something that we're not able to do through his power and through his strength. 
We're going to begin sort of at the bottom of the pyramid foundationally, and we're going to work our way up, or you could look at it the other way, kind of at the top of the funnel, and work our way down, narrowing narrowing to the more specific, starting with the broader, more general realities of what God has called men to be. The first one, number one, is he's called us to love God. The first mandate a man has to worry about is to love God. This is... The greatest priority of my life. This is the greatest priority of my life. If someone asks you, what is the greatest priority of your life? It's not to kill a bigger buck or to have a clean garage. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Now, I recognize that that's a call to all people. And as it's a call to all people, and it felt good to me this morning to say, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Did I tell you that I looked up when we started Matthew? It was December of 2013. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. Um, We're in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, let's remind ourselves of a situation that our Lord encountered. And this is just a brief reminder here of this foundational reality that as a man, God expects me to be in love with him first and foremost. Okay, here it is. Uh, The Pharisees and the Sadducees arguing with one another gather around Jesus The only time the Pharisees and the Sadducees are usually united is when they were attacking their common enemy, the Lord Jesus. A lawyer speaks up and he's asking a question of Jesus to test him. Verse 35 of Matthew 22. He says, teacher, that's Jesus, to to Jesus, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There it is. This calls every man to be driven by a growing love for God. Okay, so our starting point this morning, men, is very elementary. It's very basic. It's also very huge. You have to ask yourself, okay, am I a man who would meet the criteria of a testimony of saying, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and all my mind. You see, I suspect that if I took the microphone around and we roved around the room and we asked guys here, do you love the Lord your God? Oh, I absolutely love the Lord your God. But somehow I don't have time to pay attention to him. I don't know very much about him. I don't know much about the word, his word. The only way I can know God is through his word. I haven't paid much attention. But yeah, I love God. No, no, you really don't. You love love hot dogs with mustard and bass fishing. You don't love God. Oh, I do, Pastor Man, I do. No, you don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. And so you ask Jesus Christ to be your savior. But really, truth be known... Many of us men, we're not paying very good attention at all to a whole bunch of things here. And our lives are not defined by being in love with God with this saturation level. That's a big chunk to bite off. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and might. It's based upon Deuteronomy 6. How do we do that? You do it by caring about it to begin with, by committing to it, by asking God for help. But just know, men, that's foundational. 
Who are we supposed to be as men? We're supposed to be men who love the Lord our God with all our heart. Secondly, linked inseparably with this is a man's lo- with a man's love for God is his love for his neighbor. Look what Jesus said then. He said, this is the great and first commandment, verse 38, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in fact, if I don't love my neighbor, the scripture tells us it's indicative that I don't really love God. And if I don't love God, it's indicative of the fact that I probably really don't love my neighbor. This is cyclical. Here's the question. Of all my neighbors, who's a closer neighbor to me than my family? Do I have any neighbors who are closer than my family? So, men, here it is. The first call on my life, foundational to everything else, is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and all my might, and love my neighbor as myself. You see how hard it is to be a man? (laughs) Well, that's all of us, isn't it? That is a general call. Secondly, though, as we, we're going to narrow it down just a little bit, the first neighbor that we're to love as ourselves is number two. I am called as a man to love my wife. You love your wife. This is to be my greatest passion. This is your greatest passion. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, a passage of Scripture that is incredibly politically incorrect. It is absolutely biblical. And it is perhaps more misunderstood than any other passage in Scripture. As, as much as any passage of Scripture has been misunderstood, this passage has. has to do with the submission of wives, and we will talk about that in the future. We're going to pick up in this passage in Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 25, where it's speaking to the men, the husbands. Look what it says. Let's read our text. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. Hmm. Isn't it interesting that God would give us such an elementary command? Hey, husbands, love your wife. Duh. It's also interesting to note that God never tells the wife, as far as I know, relationally speaking, now in the greater foundational level of Christian grace, we are commanded to love one another, aren't we? But in the narrowing down of relationship, I don't think it ever tells the wife to love her husband. As you know that God actually just kind of hardwired wives to love husbands. You never met my wife. (laughs) It's because she's been living with you. I recognize that there are difficulties and that sin encroaches on people and there are dysfunctions. It's next week's message. Okay, this is how it's supposed to work, but what about all the baggage that we've dumped into our living room? How do we deal with this? We're not even thinking straight anymore. So I recognize that, but, but as a rule, the way God hardwired a wife is to just love her. She knows how to have relationship. Men... Eh, not so much. So let's look at this quickly here. Look what it says. Husbands, love your wives as... uh Uh-oh. This is incredible. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. First thing you need to understand is that this is a picture and our marriage is a picture of how Christ loves his church. And so in the Christian home, in the Christian family, the way dad loves mom, the way husband loves wife, is first and foremost actually a mysterious picture, a painting of what it looks like for Christ to love his church. How you doing, guys? (laughs) You see, lots of times people sit in my office for counseling and we're going through the passage here. And they're, you know, they're worked up because it's hard for a wife to submit to her husband, especially when he's so dumb. If you knew how dumb my husband was, you know, you know, I can't submit to him. I said, let me tell you something. You think it's hard to submit to any kind of husband? You try loving somebody the way Christ loved the church. It's impossible. The call on a man to love his wife is held up to reflect the love that Christ has for his church. Are you kidding me? How can I do that? Well, I certainly won't do that if I don't love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. And as God is at work in a sanctifying work in his church, he's going to teach me and show me. So you need to understand, letter A, it is a spiritual thing, not a sensual thing. You see, the men get the sensual part pretty easily. It's the spiritual part we don't get very well. It's a spiritual picture. And I am engaged in a spiritual demonstration of how much Christ loves the church. And that is to be seen in the way old Vannard loves Janie, baby. Wow. How do I do this? You need to know letter B. It's sacrificial. It's not selfish. Notice what he says in Husbands, love your wives. Christ gave himself up. It's always sacrificial. It is never selfish. Look at verses 28 then. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one else. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it. Just the way Christ loved. We know how to do this, guys. (laughs) Don't raise your hand. But isn't there a chair in your family room that's dad's chair? You better get out of dad's chair. He's coming home. Hey, give me some ice cream. Hey, we know how to take care of number one. But we need to understand that there is a whole mindset shift here. And that it is no longer about us and our comfort It is about leading and loving like Christ, and that is a sacrificial thing. It's spiritual, it's sacrificial, it is servant-based, it is sensitive, but not submissive. It is not submissive, it is sensitive. Here's what I'm worried about here. Look at the end of verse 29, for example. You say, For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So I am supposed to nourish and cherish my wife. So that pretty much means that I do whatever she wants. So now who's submitting to whom? Now you're looking at it the wrong way. You need to serve your wife and be sensitive. You're not submitting to your wife. You're being sensitive to your wife. And men, don't we need help doing that? I need to be sensitive to my wife. That's what will make 
be able to nourish and cherish her. And note, letter D, it's a serious, it's not a suggestion. It is serious. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's in the imperative mode. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, we know that, don't we? We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and might. We're to love our wives as our own bodies and as Christ loved the church and did what? Here's the part that's so hard. And gave himself up for her. That's the sensitive, serving, sacrificial part of a man's love for his wife. You see why we're no good at this, wives? Or men. Or men. We don't do this stuff very well. And by the way, isn't it interesting? Yeah, some of you have to think back a ways. Isn't it interesting how masculinity craves femininity? And how femininity craves masculinity. And isn't it interesting how what drew us together, a team of horses couldn't have kept us apart. Our mom and dad couldn't keep us apart. Nothing could keep us apart. It was masculinity craving femininity and femininity craving masculinity. And man, the fireworks. And just a few years later, It is masculinity and femininity that are driving us out of our minds with disgust towards one another. He's such a man. I don't get that guy. Well, if you weren't a woman, I could know what to do. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? And that's one of the residuals of the fallen state, isn't it? That we live in a sin-cursed world. Thirdly, okay, we're, we're... Narrowing the funnel here. We're becoming more specific. Love the Lord your God. That's my first priority. My great passion is to love my wife. How about my greatest puzzle? That is to understand your wife. To understand. Not only am I supposed to love my wife, but let's go to 1 Peter 3. I am called to understand my wife. I'm called to understand my wife. 1 Peter 3, 7. I wrote it in the notes to speed us along. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, NIV or King James, New King James. Dwell with your wives with knowledge, it says. Dwell with your wives with knowledge. Your brain is supposed to be engaged in your relationship. And you are to understand your wife. Look what it says. Dwell with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is from a married man, Peter. He had a mother-in-law. We know he was married. Um, He's telling us, men, that our job is to understand our wives. How do you do that? Well, you have, to be, you have to become a student of your wife. Oh, Pastor Van, that's your problem. You are not cherishing your wife the way Christ loved the church. Well, I, I know, I know all about her. That's why I'm telling you, I can't live with her because I know all about her. You probably don't. It's been interesting to me to observe guys 
come to Fellowship Bible Church. This has been a, a, a repeated pattern of men in our church who, um, and if you don't like to kill things, I'm sorry, but um, they come here from the city. A lot of them move here from out of town and they camp in West Virginia and they commute to the city and they can't afford to live there and they live here. And one thing that catches on here is starting to shoot bows and arrows and guns. And I've seen a lot of guys in our church um, who came in and they never shot guns before and they become great gun enthusiasts. And they go from not knowing anything about guns to being, they're hand loading, they have, they have to buy a safe to store all their guns, they have gun magazines. What have they done? They have become a student of a new hobby. See, men, you can't fool anybody. When you want to know something, you know exactly how to figure it out. And you know how to get the right magazines out and research it and go to the right website and talk to the right people and and get connected to the right thing. And the next thing you know, you're doing it and you're, you're there. So we have to do with our wives. We start with the word of God. We, we continue by listening to her, but it's helpful to, to read books, especially when your wife hands it to you. <laughs> and man, I didn't like this book. It's entitled, If He Only Knew. If he only knew, the wife is saying. If you just knew what I was saying, I know what you're thinking. I know you well. No, you don't. A valuable guide to knowing and understanding and loving your wife by Dr. Gary Smalley, made famous by Dr. James Dobson 25 years ago. And so Janet sticks this book in front of me. You read this book, that's exactly what I think. You want to know me? You read this book. And so I start reading this book, and I'm like, oh, I don't like this book. It means that if you want to get along with your wife, what the guy's saying is just do whatever she wants. I don't like that. I'm a man. I'm the leader of my own. And then I got to this part. I got to this part that is, um, identify the ways that you may have hurt your wife. What do you mean? I don't hurt my wife. I never hurt my wife. And I, I start down the list. Number one, ignoring her. Number two, not valuing her opinions. Number three, showing more attention to other people than her. Number four, not listening to her, not understanding what she feels is important. Number five, closing her out and not talking about it. Number 46, having prideful and arrogant attitudes. Number 49, failing to spend quantity failing to spend quantity and quality time with her when you're at a party. Number 62, making her feel stupid when she shares an idea about your work or a decision that needs... Number 79, forcing... I'm telling you the truth. 79, forcing her to handle a bill collector or overdue bills or pay the bills, not letting her lean on your gentleness and strength from time to time. Number 103, threatening... You know, 109, 111. Are you kidding me? Failing to repair items around the house? (laughs) Number 112, watching too much TV or spending too much. I I hate this book, man. (laughs) I don't need that book. I never hurt my wife. See, guys, sometimes you got to pick up a book. 121 ways that we offend our wives and you don't even know that we did it. You've got you to become an understander of your wife. That book is called If He Only Knew by Gary Smalley. You better write it down. <laughs> what does this not mean, this passage in 1 Peter? Because it's offensive to women because it says she's the weaker vessel. 
She's the weaker vessel. Well, what does that mean? It means a number of things, but particularly what it does not mean is that the wife is inferior intrinsically in character or intellectually or spiritually to the husband. Your wife is not inferior to you. Yeah, but she's supposed to submit to me. Yeah, but that doesn't mean she's inferior to you at all. By the way, back in Ephesians 5, if you love your wife the way Christ loved the church, she'll have no problem submitting to you. None whatsoever. The problem with submission to us men is that we're idiots and we're not trustworthy and we do dumb things and we're thoughtless and we're selfish. It does not mean that the wife is inferior intrinsically in character or intellectually or spiritually to the husband. Galatians 3, letter B. What does it mean? It means, I quoted this one from John MacArthur's commentary, that women generally possess less physical strength than men. With that in mind, Christian husbands are to be sacrificial providers and protectors of their wives. If you are going to be a sacrificial provider and protector of your wife, you have to understand her. We're continuing to narrow down the funnel. We know that we're to love God. That's my greatest priority. We're to love my, our wives. That's our greatest passion. We're to understand our wives. That's going to be my greatest puzzle, my lifelong challenge, of course. Number four, Colossians 3. Will you turn there with me? Colossians 3.19. Look what it says. Do not be harsh. Do not be harsh with your wife. Whew. This might be my greatest problem. I would suggest that if it's not at the top, that if it's not at the top of the list, anger, a man in his anger is one of the greatest challenges of his life. We're strong, we're masculine, we're men. And apart from the redeeming work of Christ going on in me, the fruit of the Spirit being evident in me, there will be anger, anger in my fatigue, anger in my stress from work, anger in backing over a skateboard with the car, anger in the fact that the pool liner ripped for no good reason, anger, anger, anger. It surfaces quickly in men, doesn't it? Contrary to what men like to portray, men are very, very emotional, generally speaking. Quick to respond with strength. It commutes, it com- communicates itself in anger often. And Paul couldn't be clearer, could he? In Colossians 3, look what he says in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. There it is again. That reminder, that boot in the britches. Hey, dude, love your wife. And do not be harsh with them, but she deserves it. No, she doesn't. She's your closest neighbor. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Do not be harsh with your wives. Janet, Janet was telling me, I've been harsh with her lately. And it, and it happened late in the evening. It was um, um, one of the last, it wasn't last night. I think it was Friday night. And uh, I was in bed and I fell asleep. And she was still up at her makeup counter and she was looking at Facebook. And I had just fallen asleep. And she said, hey, did you know that if you want to see this? And so I opened my eyes 
And I realized I had been asleep, and I was listening to her, and I reach over and got my glasses, and I go, okay, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, good, cool. She goes back and sits down, and I went back to sleep. I was literally asleep a second time. And after, I don't know how much time went by, she's, hey, you'd better look at this. And uh, so I got my glasses, and I looked, and okay, thanks. And she went back and sat down on her chair, and, and a third time, I was sound asleep, and she said, Hey, you need to see this. This is. And I said, do you know that this is the third time that you've woke me up from so that I can look at Facebook? And she told me yesterday that I was really harsh with her that night. I I said, no, I wasn't. I was just telling you that I had been falling. No, no, you were really mean the way you said it. I said, well, I don't remember that at all. I just was wanting you to know that I was falling asleep every time and you kept waking me up. You know, it doesn't take practice. We just kind of men, we can just kind of naturally be harsh, can't we? And so you can take time and look up some of the Proverbs on anger and words and things. We must move on. A man in his anger, the Bible speaks significantly about a man in his anger. Guys, this is a practical area. You better get the victory. You better get the victory. Number five, we're to teach our children. This is our greatest project. This is our greatest project. Number five, to teach our children. Deuteronomy 6 says we're supposed to do it when we rise up, when we sit down, when we lie down, when we wake up, when we go to sleep, when we sit down at the table to eat. We are to live lives uh, uh, teaching all the time. Proverbs 22, 6 says... Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he'll pursue that. He will continue in that. Can I tell you, men, that we cannot not teach? You will teach with your lives. I'm going to give you a list here of areas that that your, your sons, your daughters will just naturally learn from you. Let me show you who I learned from. There's Eugene, 1962, in Van. I want to tell you, I learned so much from my dad, and here's what I was thinking about. When I, when I think about my dad, I think about all of the things that he taught me. He taught me how to hold a hammer. He taught me how to catch and clean bluegills. He taught me how to, how to clean rabbits. He taught me not to put my hand on glass doors, but to use the handle so I wouldn't leave imprints, fingerprints on the glass. He taught me when walking down the street with a lady to walk on the curbside closest to the cars. He taught me the difference between red oak and black walnut and cherry and poplar and yellow pine and, and um, um, white pine. He taught me to love kids and camp and Bible camp. And he taught me to love Bible college. And he taught me to love the church. And he taught me to love God. And almost everything I listed on that list, which is almost almost nothing of what he taught me. He didn't sit down at a table with a pen and a pencil and teach me. I just caught it from his life. Here's a picture of us not too long before I'm going to do dad's funeral in 1998. This is a couple years before that. And I was just thinking of uh, all that I owe my father. All that I owe my father. I just caught it. I just caught it. I don't remember the day of the instruction. Dads, you cannot not teach. You cannot not teach. Here's how you can. Here's just a few areas. Letter A. 
The Word. The Word of God. Your attitude about the Word of God, you're going to teach that to your kids. The psalmist said, I will delight in His Word. I will not forget His Word. Your attitude towards the Word of God matters. I pulled, I should have brought it to the pulpit. Maybe I will for the third service. Yesterday afternoon in my study, I needed the King James Word for something. And I pulled one of my dad's worn out Bibles and it was so good to hold his Bible. And I used his Bible to look up on purpose the King James Word. Just to hold my dad's Bible that he wore out. You teach your kids about the Word of God. You teach your kids about women and your wife. Your attitude towards women and your wife, the way you treat your wife is the way your boys are going to treat their wives. The way you think and talk about women is going to have a high impact upon your children. Do you treasure your wife? Do you praise your wife? Proverbs 31, 1 Timothy 5. Do you treat other women around you, particularly the younger, attractive ones, as though they are sisters? How's your attitude here? You're teaching all the time. You're going to teach them about wine. And that it's a mocker. You're going to teach them about indulgence. Indulgence of the flesh. You stand around with a beer in your hand, you're going to have a son who's going to stand around with a beer in his hand. And I would encourage you to get rid of all alcohol out of your life. It's not worth it if you have kids. Number four, you're going to teach them about work. You're going to teach them about work. And what an important thing this is. Work. My dad wouldn't let me play sports. So I ran cross country. It's not a sport. Trust me. Because when I was a boy, we didn't have time to play ball. He had to drop out of high school when he was out of school and he was in eighth grade, never went to high school, didn't understand the game of football, knew about digging and blasting stumps and sawing wood in the winter and taking by sleigh and horse teams down to the sawmill and working hard in the fields. Also, boy, you better work, you better work, you better work. And so we teach our children work ethic. But, but men, can I warn you of something about your work? You often adopt your work as your identity. In fact, your wife might even call your work your mistress. Unless you're a lazy old dog. If there's going to be a day your kids are grown and you turn around and all you did was work, why didn't you go fishing with them? You can get out of work at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I know that we've had a culture shift, and if there's one thing that is sacred nowadays, it is kids' soccer games. It's amazing to me how committed parents are. It's like you feel like you're a bad parent if you miss a soccer game. You're not a bad parent if you miss a soccer game. Trust me, you're not. I turned out halfway decent, and my mom and dad never came to see me run cross-country or march in the marching band. I wish they had, but it didn't warp me. Now, somewhere there's a balance. I I ran into this story on CNN. This girl's name is Gina Yang. She's 25 years old, and her dad would never go on vacation, and he died. And so she made a life-size cardboard cutout, and she has traveled the world to 25 places. She wishes her dad would have taken her, and, and she says it's in a memorial to him. She's taking pictures with her dad in all the places she wishes her dad would have taken her. That's pathetic. That is pathetic. Dad's You're the only dad they have. You better pay attention. Finding that balance between work, busyness, 
building into your family. What about wealth? Wealth is another thing we must finish up. Those are things that you're going to teach your child. They're going to catch those things more than you're going to teach them with a pen and a paper. Do not provoke your children now. Do not provoke your children. This is your greatest pain. When Janet was proofreading my notes, she said, "Um, you mean the children are a pain? And I said, no, not at all. Here's your greatest pain. Your greatest pain is how quickly your children grow up and leave home. And when you look back, if you were a provocative father and you, in, you embittered your children, you embittered your children, you discouraged your children, and you can't undo it, it's going to be one of the greatest pains of your life to look back and say, I was a father who provoked my children unto wrath. I was a child, I was a father who embittered my children. You will know deep pain from that. How do we do that? How do we embitter, the NIV says, exasperate, the NAS says? This is Colossians 3.21. Your Bible might still be open there. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. In Ephesians it says, lest they become angry. Here's how we do that very quickly. Here's your list. Caustic, harsh, cutting, sarcastic words. Look up Proverbs 12.18. It talks about words that are like a sword that go in and is twisted. When a father's words go in and they twist those negative words, child never forgets it. We're critical, can never do anything right. That doesn't mean we shouldn't correct. It doesn't mean we shouldn't instruct, but we're too critical. We're harshly critical. We're over-controlling. We're controlling. We're condescending. We're condescending with negative put-downs. Caustic, critical, controlling, condescending. How about conditional love? Conditional love. We have an example in Scripture of that. In Genesis, one of, the, one of the biggest boneheaded father moves that anybody ever made was Joseph in his coat of many colors and the, and the way he treated him differently than the rest of his brothers, enraging the siblings. Callousness, we're uncaring and unkind. Consistency, callousness and inconsistency. Different standard for the children than what I have. So we watch what kids don't watch. I know there's at some level an adult appropriateness, but almost always if it's bad for a kid to watch, it's bad for an adult to watch. You punish your kid for playing too many video games and then you're hooked on a video game. And on it goes, the inconsistencies of our lives. You talk about embittering your child. Just be hypocritical. That's all you have to do. What's our conclusion today? Well, guys, along with me, will will we do this? Let's humble our hearts. We're not putting on some dog and pony show for our buddies at work. Who cares what your buddies at work say about the ring in your nose or whatever? Who cares? There's only one thing that matters, and that's what God thinks about you and what your kids are going to say about you when they throw dirt on top of your casket. Number one, humble your heart, take responsibility, restore relationships, man up. Number two, grow in wisdom, grow in wisdom. Read Proverbs of the day. There's 31 chapters. Read whatever day of the month it is. Today you would read chapter 22. If you miss it, tomorrow read chapter 23 and forget chapter 22 until next month. My dad, Eugene, that I showed you, he grew up in a dysfunctional home with an angry father, a mean father, 
who was tired all the time from working night shift, who cussed, who didn't encourage anything. My dad and my Uncle Harold were the first two guys to get saved in their family at age 16. It was a rough family in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. He gets married to my mom, never even had a brother in her house. Her dad died when she was nine. My dad didn't know anything about how to treat a lady. He didn't know how to raise kids. He didn't know how. He said, I just said, I've heard him say many times, I just said, Lord, I need your wisdom, and I read Proverbs every day. God will show you. God will show you. Let's renounce passivity. Let's man up and and let's engage. Ask God for a renewed determination. Number four is a little hard for us. But some of us need to ask our wife what we should do differently. You got the guts to do this? Hey, babe. Would you give me five ways that I should change to be a better dad and husband? And if he does, wives, uh, you make sure you handle that carefully or he'll never ask you again. If you have a humble heart, you'll go to your wife and say, how can I do better? Tell me what to do better. I guarantee you she knows. Number five, deal with the junk. Grow in godliness. First Timothy says that bodily discipline is useful for a while, but that growing in godliness is good for this life and the life to come. Let the fruit of the Spirit come out. We have a big job, men. We have a big job. We have a God of new beginnings. We have a God of grace. We can do this. We can renounce passivity and we begin to grow and lead in a new way. Will you stand with me, please? And so, Father, we need your help today. We're weak people. We're prone to failure. We're prone to repeat the same problems over and over and over, same idiosyncrasies. Would you help us, Lord, as men of Fellowship Bible Church, to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, to show us what that looks like to love Christ, to to look like Christ, to love our wives, to, to not embitter our children, to not be harsh with our wives. Lord, we need your help. And we want to honor you with these things. So encourage us and strengthen us for the long haul here. Give us the courage that we need to renounce passivity and avoiding of responsibility and teach us to embrace our role as men. Husbands and fathers, in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Amen.